Hey, my fellow monkeys, what's up? Old Uncle Silverback here with you on the Armed Ape Podcast, the show where we review and talk about everything from guns, gear, and movies to life in general. Nothing is ever out of bounds. As always, everything we talk about has the end goal of making our lives better by cutting through all the marketing BS using logic, reason, and honest discussions. I look forward to hearing from you soon and to your participation in the show. Hey everybody, what's going on? How are my fellow travelers doing? Today is Wednesday. It's the 1st of December, 2021. We're going to be talking about the movie Falling Down, starring Michael Douglas and Robert Duvall. And it was a 1993 movie. I'm going to do things a little bit differently. And we'll talk about that when we get back from doing our contact info. If you'd like to contact me, have a couple of different ways to do so. There is a voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. There is an email address, which is thearmedape at gmail.com. And there you can send me an email. I'll read it out for you the show. Or if you want to record your own audio, you can do that and send it to me there as well. And I'll play it for you on the show. If you go over to the website, which is thearmedape.com, You'll find uh, all the archives of all the past shows, plus you'll also find all my social media stuff, things like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. And if you like the show and would ever consider supporting it financially, there is a PayPal donation button, and you can click on that and follow the on-screen prompts, and it's easy-peasy for you. If you would like to support the show but you don't want to do it financially, what I would ask you to do is if you do go over to the website... Click on my YouTube channel button. It'll take you right to the channel and check them out. Interact with some of those videos if you'd like. Subscribe. And I'm trying to grow that channel. I've got some plans in the future once we get the channel up a little bit higher in number. All right. Let's talk about the movie Falling Down. And normally the way I do the movie is I'll have a spoiler-free discussion up to a certain point. And generally that's up to the first act unless something really major happens. And then what I'll say is I'll I'll say, okay, you know, go ahead, either watch the movie if you haven't seen it, but I'm going to play some outro music or, or take a little break. And then when we come back, we'll be doing spoilers all the way through. What I decided to do, and we're still kind of going to do that, but what I decided to do for today is I wanted to do it a little bit differently. I've, I've had... Oh, I don't know. What would you call maybe sort of fond memories of this movie? I thought it was very different when I saw it the first time. I think I saw it in the, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theaters back in 93. And I have certain memories of it in my head. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to sort of talk about the memories. And I don't know whether or not I'll put this sort of at the end with the spoiler stuff is because there's probably certain scenes if you haven't seen the movie yet, you, you it would probably be, I would consider maybe spoilers. So uh, again, this this section, if it, if it ends, I'll let you guys know that I decided to go ahead and put it at the end. 
But if not, we'll go ahead and do it. So anyway, what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about what are my memories of the movie? How do I remember it? What are certain scenes that I remember? I remembered how the movie opened up. And the movie opens up, you have Michael Douglas, and this is just going off of, of my memory. We are introduced to his character. He is stuck in a traffic jam. I remember it's hot. Uh, he's out in California. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure if he's supposed to be out in LA or something like that. I think probably he is. And he abandons his car and he is trying to either get home or do something. I remember at the, and my memories at the time of, of his haircut, how he's dressed, it wouldn't necessarily fit in with, oh, what we would say, like the, like popular haircuts at, at the time. So he would have stood out a little bit. He's, I remember he had a like uh, dark blacks, either black or dark, dark, like navy blue slacks or something like that. And then he had on a, just a short sleeve white t-shirt, not t-shirt, a short sleeve button down shirt, excuse me, with a tie. And then also the glasses that he wore, I, I, what I remember from the movie is, oh, these aren't really glasses that are popular at the time. So the character has a look that sort of is, he's kind of out of place. And for whatever reason, I can't remember why he's doing the things that he's doing or why he abandons his car. I don't know if he needs to get somewhere by a certain time. But then the rest of the movie is kind of with the, with the title falling down is how he goes maybe from a normal citizen, supposedly, and sort of falls further down the rabbit hole for, you know, fall, falls, excuse me, further and further down. And he does things maybe that I guess would be considered more out of character for him in the past, that type of stuff. What I remember is it, it, you are to believe that he's sort of reached a breaking point and that he is not going to be bound by, oh, any normal, what will we call it, normal behaviors of polite society, that type of thing. So there's, and this is what I'll talk about, just some of the scenes I remember. I remember he goes into a, there's a, and I, you know what, I think I'll do it this way. I'm not going to give spoilers. I'll just talk a little bit about certain scenes. There's a scene where he goes into a convenience store and some stuff happens. There's a scene where he goes into a, what would you call it? Like an old, like an army Navy surplus store, which we don't really have too much anymore. Nowadays, everything's almost online that you would get for like military surplus stuff. And I also remember Robert Duvall's character. And I think you get this pretty early on. He's a policeman and he, it's his last day on the job. All this stuff that Michael Douglas is doing kind of catches the eye of the police. And instead of him just sort of sitting back and say, well, it's going to be somebody else's problem. I think, and this is what I remember. I think he wants to maybe go out with the bang. And I, from what I remember, I think he kind of didn't necessarily want to retire. I almost think it's, it's not sort of like a forced thing, but it's, you know, it's just one of those things maybe where it's, they want him gone to make room for new people or something. I can't remember. And that may be a total, uh, fabrication or misremembrance on my part. I also remember that he, even though it's his last day, Robert Duvall's character has, 
oh, some problems with his wife at home and she is sort of super, what would we want to say, like kind of needy or isn't coping very well with, with stuff now that she's sort of getting older in, in life as well. So other than that, I don't really have too many memories. I don't, I remember liking the movie at the time, I re, but I don't, when I try and think back on it now, I don't remember how it ends. I don't remember whether Michael Douglas's character lives or dies at the end. Uh, I don't remember if Robert Duvall's character lives or dies at the end. And I don't remember if it's more of a cat and mouse between Michael Douglas and, and Robert Duvall's characters, or if there are other police uh, the other people on the police are involved or if it was just you know kind of given to him that type of thing you know I'm, I'm not exactly sure so anyway that is sort of my memories and I guess what we'll do is we'll go ahead and leave it in here at the at the front of the show uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start watching the movie now and when I come back I'll have some notes and everything and we'll and we'll go into real detail of how I normally do the review. So again, and I'll give you guys spoiler warnings. What I'll do when I'll come back is we'll sort of talk about that first act and things that are going on in there that wouldn't be necessarily spoilers. And then once we get to a spoiler point, we'll stop. I'll play some music or I'll let you know. I'll, I'll give some type of a auditory signal. And then when we come back, then we'll go forward uh, and we're, we're going to go from A to B and through the movie. So even if the movie jumps around in timeline, we'll, we will go with how the movie from start to finish all the way up to the end. All right, guys, I will be back in just a second. All right, guys, I am in the mobile studio. I am parked and I do have a little bit of time here. So what we'll do is we are going to do the actual normal review i guess we'd call it for falling down it's a 1993 movie starring michael douglas and robert duvall normally and i'll explain for you guys how i normally do a review normally what i'll do is i'll talk about the first 20 minutes which generally is going to be about the first what we would call the first act of a movie i'll try and avoid any major spoilers then i'll play a little bit of outro music or take a pause but i'll let you guys know oh going forward we are going to do spoilers, so you will be duly noted and duly warned. In the first segment that you heard, I was talking about some of my memories of when I saw this. I think I saw it back in the theater. This movie is, what, about 20, uh, 28 years old, I guess, probably. And there are a lot of things that have changed as far as you know would they make this movie today and i don't know that they would or if they did it would be done very very differently anyway let's go ahead and we'll jump right in so like i said the movie was released in 1993 and it stars michael douglas and robert duvall both of whom at the time would have been you know pretty big stars uh, very well known, you know, audiences everywhere would have known him. There were some character actors that I think you kind of recognize throughout the movie, but not a whole lot. There's really, you know, there's a, the guy that's the store owner, and then there's the guy that's the surplus, the, the Army-Navy surplus guy. And you recognize those people. A lot of other people you don't really know too well. 
at the time, there uh, the the uh, actress that plays Robert Duvall's wife is Tuesday Weld, who at the time would have been pretty well known, or you would have said, "Oh, that's her." And I think she was more in her heyday, probably in the in the '60s, I think. And I don't know that she had done a whole lot. I, I should probably check on some of that stuff. But anyway, let's go ahead and we'll jump in with the movie. And and uh, it opens on a very, very tight shot of Michael Doug- Douglas's mouth. And his character, in the, in the credits, he's credited as Defense. D-F-E-N-S. Defense. And... But his his actual name in the movie is William, I think it's Forrester. And I don't, I think what I'll just, it's going to be easier instead of calling him Defends, I'll just call him Bill. And Robert Duvall's character is Prendergast, which is an odd kind of mouthful to say, but I'll just call him Prend because it's easier. Most of the other people have regular names. But anyway, so it opens up. And it kind of pans out. You see he's he's in a traffic jam. He's just sitting there. It's very, very claustrophobic. You can tell he's he's kind of freaking out a little bit. Uh, there are people all around him that have a lot of like uh, negative emotions and anger. And he's in his little car, his little box. His AC isn't working. Uh, people are kind of staring at him. And eventually he finally just has enough. And he abandons the car. He just gets out. And the people, of course, are, there's a guy behind him saying, like, what are you doing? And he's yelling at him. And he's like, oh, I'm going home. And then he just leaves. And what he does is, because traffic's at a standstill, he just walks across. And he goes sort of, um, they're in, where he's at, he's in kind of an underpass. Or he's under the overpass, I guess I should say. And he walks up and he kind of goes up this hill and, and, and uh and abandons the car. Uh, and we also see that when he leaves, he takes his briefcase with him. He has got, he's dressed in, at the time too, would have been considered kind of like a nerdy thing. Almost, uh, he's got a, a, a white short sleeve shirt with a, the uh, pocket protector with a bunch of pins. And he has just a, um, a black, a black and white tie, I think, a black tie with white stripes. And then he's just got on like dark, probably black slacks and black shoes. So he looks sort of like at what you would have thought at the time was sort of maybe like a typical kind of nerdy engineer. His haircut, like I had mentioned earlier, is and his glasses are something that are reminiscent of almost of the of the of the 50s so at the time of the of the movie you would say that oh this guy's like if you looked at his haircut and the and his glasses you would say oh this guy is kind of tied maybe a little bit to the times of his childhood maybe and that's something that I and in previous reviews that I haven't done and I think I'm going to do a little bit more is that at the time of the movie what would this guy have looked, what would he have seemed like to an audience of that day? So again, this movie is supposed to take place current time. So it was released in 93. You see the stickers on his car 
are 92 or 93, things like that. I think they say 92 uh, on, on his license plate and things like that. So anyway, he would have looked a little, mm, I don't know, not necessarily out of place, but he would have, with his haircut and his glasses, you know, he, he sort of stands, what do I want to say, stands apart a little bit from the, the, the societal norms of the time. Uh, we also, so the next thing we see is, uh, at this point, we also, we meet Robert Duvall, who is Prendergast. We see a highway patrol, California highway patrol motorcycle cop comes up. And I guess somebody has somehow notified the police that, that, uh, a guy had abandoned their car. The cop comes up. So anyway, we meet Duvall. And they end up pushing the car out of the road off of traffic. And they and so Robert Duvall at this point notices the license plate. And then some other guy who was helping them push the car says, oh, there was this guy. He abandoned it. I thought, you know, maybe he was going to go take a leak. But he said he was going home. And then Robert Duvall says, he's going home? And he's like, yeah. And, and so anyway, he eventually just gets back in his car. We cut from that and we see that. Uh, and again, we're going to uh, call Michael Douglas's character Bill. We see that Bill is making a call to a woman with a child. He, she answers the phone, but he doesn't see anything. And then he hangs up and he, or I think he's just, he's just waiting and she hangs up on him, if I remember correctly. So I misspoke there. And he, so he goes to make a second call and he looks at his change and he's only got like, you know, 15 cents or something, which isn't going to be enough. And he looks and he sees there's a convenience store. And you notice the area that he's in is super crummy. And there's tons of graffiti all over the place. And he goes over into the store to get change. And he asks the clerk, he's like, oh, can I get change? And the clerk is this Korean dude. And he you know, has a very thick accent. And they, of course, they play up the accent for the movie. The, the actor in real life doesn't have this accent. But he's like, you know... Uh, no change, you buy something. And so he's like, what? And he's like, you got to buy something. And so he goes over and he gets a Coke and he opens up and it's, it's hot too. It's, it's, um, so they're, I think they're supposed to be kind of having a heat wave or something, maybe in California at the time. And he, Michael Douglas goes up and he opens up the cooler and the cold air kind of hits him. And you can tell he's like, oh, he's just kind of standing there and he takes a Coke out of the freezer or out of the out of the cooler and he's standing there for a minute and then he starts to to press the can up against his his face kind of cooling himself down and you can tell it kind of calms him down a little bit and then and then the clerk is kind of looking at him like what in the hell is this guy doing so anyway he takes it over there and the clerk says it's 85 cents and at first michael douglas is having a hard time understanding what he's saying. He's like, what? And he's like, 85 cent, 85 cent. And he's like, well, that won't leave me enough change to make the phone call. And the guy's like, he doesn't really care. And then Bill gets sort of mad at the clerk. And he's like, you know what, you people, you come over to my country and then you charge these outrageous prices and blah, blah, blah. And again, to us in 2021, you know, the, the, there's a lot of stuff here that the way that he talks to him would not be considered very politically correct. And if we talk about political correctness, I think in the, in the 90s, is, I, I think is when that term first started 
making its way out into the public consciousness is that, oh, you need to be politically correct. And, and maybe it was a few years later, but I don't know. But I think it was around in there. And anyway, they kind of go back and forth. And then the, the Korean guy is like, you know, this is what basically this is what the price are. If you don't like it, you know, get out of here. He basically tells Michael Douglas, OK, get out of here. You know, just leave. And he goes, he sees that Michael Douglas is like, no, I'm going to stay. He's like, no, I stay. Because he kind of mocks how the guy talks a little bit. And the clerk is like, oh, brother, I'm going to have to kind of threaten this guy. And so he, he goes to get a baseball bat and he's kind of, you know, shaking it at him. And then he and Michael Douglas kind of get into a struggle and he takes the bat away from him and he threatens to hit him. And the guy's on the ground and he's like, just take it, you know, take the money, take the money. And then Michael Douglas is like, you think I'm a thief? You think I'm going to rob you? And so we see a little bit. And so then what he does is Michael Douglas starts going around and he smashes one. Like, how much for this? And the guy's like, you know, oh, it's four dollars. And he's like, no. And he, he smashes it. And he's like, how much is this? And the guy's like, it's, you know, three fifty. And he's like, no, it's too much. And he smashes another display. And then he finally comes up to the counter and earlier he said this should be 50 cents, which is probably what it is at the regular grocery store. And the guy's laying on the ground and, and he says, how much is this? And the guy's like, you know, 50 cents. And then so Michael Douglas opens up the register. He takes his dollar, he puts it in there and then he takes 50 cents and change and he leaves and so what we're, what we're seeing here is, and this is something that we're going to see later on, is a pattern of he is not going to stand for stuff and he is not going to, oh, how do we want to say it? Um, he's not going to let things from his perspective, from the care, from Bill's perspective, he's not going to let anything slide anymore. He is going to where maybe in the past he might have just sort of let things go, uh, but he's he's not going to do it. Also, we see that going forward, people that are polite or nice to him, he doesn't really have any kind of a, a problem with. So anyway, we cut to the next scene and we see uh, Prendergast, and I'm just going to call him Prin because it's going to be easier. Prin's at the station. He opens up his desk drawer the, and it's been filled with sand and then the the other cops at the station are teasing him about moving to Arizona and about being on a desk a desk job we also meet a female cop her name is Sandra and Robert Duvall oh, well yeah we'll get to this here in a second we'll we'll talk about the ages of the actors at this at the, in the in a little bit Robert Duvall is um I don't know if, if he and this lady were partnered up at one time, but he's in, I think he's supposed to be maybe in robbery homicide at the time, but I think it's just uh, maybe robbery or something at, at that time. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, they talk about that he's going to he's gonna take an early retirement. He is going to be, this is his last day. And... The way that she looks at him, it's odd. And I wonder if at one time it was supposed to be, maybe he was a little bit younger than Robert Duvall's actual age. I think at the time of filming Michael Douglas, I think he was 
48 or 49, probably about 48 at the, when they were starting to make the movie. Uh, and he looks really good for 48. He's, he's that kind of that. And I don't know if I, I'm sure he's probably had some plastic surgery done and everything, but you know, he's pretty trim. He's in shape. And Robert Duvall, let me, you know what? I'm going to take a real quick break here and I want to see how old Robert Duvall would have been at the time. Okay, so I looked it up, and Robert Duvall at the time of the filming was probably 62 or so, I, I think. Um, he might have been 61, depending on when, whatever his birthday is and when they were filming. But he's, again, like 61, maybe 62 years old at the time. And he looks, I mean... He's one of those guys because he's a bald actor and because they, I'm sure they dyed his hair brown, but he has, you know, a lot of times, and I'm a bald headed guy, I shave my head, but a lot of times what that does is it, if your face looks okay, you can be kind of an indeterminate age and he's clean shaven and he looks like he is probably in his mid fifties, uh, you know, and I think that the... I don't know. I think that probably we're supposed to think of him as in his late 40s. I think probably the character maybe in the script would have been a cop who's who's supposed to be in his 40s. Uh, so anyway. And the reason I say that is because I think that the female cop, Sandra is supposed to maybe have, carry a little torch for him, have a little bit of a crush. She looks like she's in her late 20s. So, you know, I and it it, it kind of comes across on in some parts the way that she looks at him and kind of the way that he interacts with her is maybe he has a little bit of a an office crush on her a little bit. Uh, or it's kind of almost, they used to have a term called that, oh, that's your you know, your work wife or your work husband, or that's your gym husband or your gym wife, you know, a person that you kind of flirt with and stuff like that. And, and it's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of an attraction there, but it's not ever going to go anywhere. You're not ever, it's not ever going to be acted upon. So anyway, so I don't know. There's, uh, again, I think maybe had, had he been a younger actor who was a little bit older than her, but not as much. And again, I think he's, a pop, he's probably supposed to be in his forties, not in his sixties. So you can either look at that relationship as like, eh, that's kind of odd. Or you can look at it as from a perspective of, oh, does she see him as a big brother, as maybe like a favored uncle or, and, the, and, the, and does he look at her more as like, oh, this would be like my, my niece or my little sister. And, and if the age gap, if he's supposed to be, you know, in his late fifties or something like that, would the age gap, does he look at her more almost like a daughter and, and will talk about that here in a second because we see that he also pulls out of his desk this picture it's a picture of a little girl and he kind of looks at it with a with a wistful look and you kind of get the idea of like oh this person isn't around anymore and this is probably his daughter so we cut back to bill and he's trying to call a woman who at the time we don't know but it turns out that this is his ex-wife but who's probably his wife, and she is on the phone and he can't get through. So he walks off, and in the background, we see that there are these two kind of ne'er-do-well dudes by a car, and they're watching him. 
and they look a little bit like gang members and they start to follow him. And as he's walking, he walks up this hill and there's this big advertisement. Maybe it's supposed to be for a movie or something like that, but it's a, a black background and it's about the size of a billboard and it says kill, 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 kill about four or five times on it. Uh, so, and again, that is something that maybe is that kind of re reflective of his attitude. Is it a reflective, is it reflective and, uh, and, uh, a thing of just in general of violence that's supposed to be going on in the city. Uh, we cut back to Prin and he gets a call from his wife saying that she's scared and she wants him to come home. And you can tell she is kind of an emotional basket case. And she's asking if you're, are you doing this move just for her? And he says, and what, and what's interesting here is he doesn't really answer her. He doesn't answer the question. He says, the important thing is that we are together. And so again, she clearly has some emotional issues. She starts to panic a little bit and he has to talk her down. And the, and the way that he does this, he kind of sings a little song, almost like you would do to a child, uh, you know, to a very young child. And we're going to see, and I think that this is a little bit of his character development. We're going to see some of this stuff play out again later on about how he can kind of talk people down and put people into that are kind of uh, in a heightened emotional state, he can kind of bring them down a little bit. Now she, this whole time had been, and if you don't, if you're not paying attention, you don't really notice it, but she had been carrying around this little frame picture and she puts it down and we see it's the same photo of the little girl that he had and his death. So obviously uh, something has happened to that little girl and what we we're not told explicitly, but what we see is that it seems that he may be taking an early retirement, something he doesn't really maybe want to do. And then again, also we're seeing, well, is the girl is in high probability is his daughter and she probably has died. So we see kind of almost like a, the next scene is we see a shot of the city and it's kind of almost like you would look through a, a a periscope or a telescope or something like, you know, in the old pirate movies when they're just looking through that. And it kind of comes in a little bit and it, it, as it switches perspective, we see that it's Michael Doug, or we see that it's Bill, I guess I should say. And he is looking through a hole that's been worn into the bottom of his shoe. And he's just kind of staring out at the city. It's a city view. He has a newspaper and it's open to the classified section and there are several jobs that are circled. And again, this is something that in a modern day thing, you know, maybe somebody who's 15 or 16 or even 20 would look at that and say, what, what even is that? What's, what's this classified thing? And again, it goes back to at the time, of course there, you know, and it, and it tells us something maybe about him that he's looking for maybe another job or he's maybe he, so that means is he's either been fired or maybe he's not happy with his job that he's got currently, that it's kind of wearing on him, that this is another thing that he's, that is affecting his mood and his, his total outlook on life. And so we see that he is in a super rough, again, part of town. He has just walked up the street a little bit. So he's not that far away from uh, the convenience store. And he starts to tear up the newspaper and use it to patch the hole in his shoes. The two guys from earlier, uh, they tell him, they come up and they start, you know, giving him a bunch of, uh, kind of giving him a bunch of shit and telling him, oh, you know, you're on private property and see this, this like gang graffiti, 
He's like, this says this is private property and you can't be here and you have to leave. And he's like, it says all that. And he's like, yeah. And he said, well, maybe if you'd written it in English, I could understand. And he kind of laughs a little bit and they kind of look at him like, you know what? And he's like, oh, okay, okay. So they tell him you're going to have to leave. And he's like, all right, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll get out of here. And they say that, you know, you're going to have to pay a toll and, the toll is going to be his briefcase. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to pay the toll. And then this one, the one, there's two guys and he's sitting on sort of like these big concrete blocks. I don't know what it, what it actually is, but he's got his briefcase sat down and he's got the baseball bat behind the briefcase. So those guys can't really see the briefcase. The one, and then what he says is he gives this little speech and the speech is actually in a way, it's pretty good. He, he, and he does treat, even though these guys are kind of trying to shake him down a little bit, he does, at this point, he, he treats them respectfully and especially maybe kind of from like a street level. He says, look, I know this is, and I, I can't remember the, the speech verbatim, but basically says, look, I know this is your guy's pissing ground. You don't want me here. And he says, I know I wouldn't want you people in my backyard. So if you'll just step back, I'll be on my way. You know, I'll, I'll leave because that's what you guys want me to do. And then that's when they're basically saying, well, you can leave, but you got to pay a toll with a briefcase. And he's like, no. And he's like, you know what? You want the briefcase? I'll give it to you. And the one guy has taken out a butterfly knife and has got it kind of held up in front of him, in front of uh, Bill. And Bill picks up his briefcase in one hand, in his left hand, and in his right hand, he picks up the baseball bat. And he turns around real quick, and he's, he hits the knife away with the briefcase. And then he comes down, and he smashes the dude who's standing right in front of him, bam, right across the head. And this guy, now, again, there is a little bit of, you know, movie stuff in that, you know, would this have really shaken this guy up again? But, I, and, and on the other hand, I kind of like it because he takes like a full swing from a grown man, bam, right up against the head. And that guy is kind of out of the fight. He's pretty dazed. And then the other guy goes to, the other gang member guy goes to engage Michael Douglas, but he whips around and he brings the bat up. And as he brings the bat up, the guy is kind of coming up with his arm and he smashes him in the elbow. And so that guy, I don't know if it's broken or, but he's out of the fight too. And so he starts chasing him around and the guys run off. And then Michael Douglas is like, you know, clear a path, motherfuckers. They run off. He goes to leave and he looks down and he sees the knife that's on the ground and he picks it up and he's looking at it and he's kind of, flipping it a little bit and he's like how did that guy how did that guy do this and so he kind of he's looking at the knife and he kind of figures out but he he takes it and he closes it up and then he puts it in his pocket and then he he starts to walk off and what we're going to see is in some ways this movie is a little bit like a video game where he's going to go from point to point and he's going to collect different things along the way we cut back to Prendergast and he is back at the station. A guy comes up and says, Hey, I need to, I know I need to get your gun. I need to do this other stuff. And so he turns into the gun to this one guy. And then another cop comes up and says, Hey man, do you, do you mind taking a statement from this guy? 
And he says, uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. And when, when he's getting, he's moving stuff around and he looks down at the paper and it reads, police officer dies in shooting. And he kind of looks at that and he, you know, he kind of, mm, you can tell it affects him a little bit. And we wonder, oh, did something happen to him? Is that why he's sitting at the desk? Is that why he's taking an early retirement? But we don't know. And the guy that he's going to take the statement from is the store clerk. And his name is Mr. Lee. And he tells them the story about what happened. And they say, oh, this isn't really a robbery. We thought he robbed you. And he's like, no, he didn't rob me. He, he came in, he attacked me, he busted up the place. He took a soda and he, and then he, he basically paid for it and left. And Robert Duvall's like, wait a minute, he paid for it. He didn't, he didn't take it. And he's like, no. And then, and, and then Mr. Lee goes, oh, he took my baseball bat. And then Robert Duvall or Prin says, well, do you sell baseball bats? And he's like, no, I just had it for there. And then the other cop says, oh, I'm sorry. You know, Mr. Lee, we need to take you to somebody else. This is an assault, not robbery. And then the guy's like, well, he took my bat. He took my stuff. And, they, and then they're like, oh, it doesn't really work that way. So they kind of shoo him off. Cut to the next scene. The gang members are driving around. They're looking for Bill. There are two more guys and a girl that are in the car. And they're going around looking for him. They're like, ah, oh, we're going to make this guy pay. And then we see two, and this is another thing from the, uh, oh, what do we want to call it? The, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? I like the attitude, but the, the ambiance of the movie, that's not even the right word, but it's, there are comedic elements that are in this thing. And, the way that the guys, the, the, these gang guys talk to this girl and she's like, oh, you know, we're going to, you know, blah, 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 blah. We don't maybe want to do this. And they're like, you know, shut up. And, they, you know, the way that they talk to her is a little comedic in nature. And at first I thought, is this movie kind of a dark comedy? And I thought, is this really a really super dark comedy? But I don't think it is. I think it's kind of maybe, oh, what would you call it? Maybe an adventure thriller that has um, comedic elements to it. And they're very dark comedic elements, but they're there. So we see Bill is making a call and we find out it's his ex-wife. And he says, hey, I'm coming home for our kid's birthday. And the, the child's name is Adele. I'm coming home for Adele's birthday. And she says, no, you can't come here. You know, you don't own the place. I pay the bills. This is my house. You don't even pay child support anymore. And she says she'll call the police and let them know that he's if he shows up. And so at this time, we see that the gang, as they're driving, they see him. And again, he's going through probably what would be considered like a Hispanic part of town. So he's, as a person who's walking through, he kind of sticks out. The way he's dressed, the way he, just him being white in general, but the way he's dressed, he really sticks out. And so what they do is they drop, they make the girl get out of the car and they've got like a duffel bag full of guns and they all pull out a gun and they're going to go do a drive-by on him. And as they drive by, they start shooting bang, 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 bang. And he's got his back to the road. So he doesn't really even see him. But as they're going and shooting, you see bullet holes like boom, bullet hits, bam, pop around him. And of course, as they drive by, they end up shooting like three or four innocent people. And they go by and then they whip around a corner. And as they're going at a high rate of speed, they uh, crash the car and then Michael Douglas, you know, calmly looks around. He calmly picks up the duffel, uh, calmly picks up his briefcase 
And then he walks around the corner and he sees the guy and the car is all messed up. And, the, and there's one guy that's sort of laying out on the road. And it's the guy that he had got the knife from earlier. And the other people in the car are basically either dead or knocked out. And the gun that the, one, the guy who's laying on the street has is laying beside him. Michael Douglas walks up to it, picks up the gun, and he's like, Hey, you missed me. And then he shoots the gun into the car. I don't think he shot one of the other people. I think he shot just into the car and he said, oh, I missed too. And then he takes the gun and, he, and the guy's like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And he, bam, he shoots the dude in the leg. And then he sees the duffel bag and he takes the, um, the duffel bag full of guns and he walks away. And then we, you know, the girl comes running up later and she's uh, you know, seen all this stuff. So we cut to the um, back to the police station and we see Prin is going in to talk to the captain. And we find here's where we find out that he is retiring and he's taking an early retirement. It's not like, oh, this just happened to be his last day. And it's funny, I didn't remember at the time that he was doing an early retirement from when I first saw or, and my memories of it. That part didn't really stick with me. And the captain is kind of one of these, oh, I don't know. He's kind of a, kind of an arrogant, kind of a jerky guy. And uh, he's almost probably at the time you would see him a little bit as a throwback, maybe to a little bit earlier time. Uh, but you can tell he's one of these, what we would probably call him today would be like, he's like an alpha male type thing. Uh, but anyway, he's talking to Prendergrass and he says, you know, you're, you're retiring. He goes like, they make me say this speech. You know, I, I got to say it. And he says, I know that you're retiring early. You're not going to get your full pension. And then he's kind of looking at the file and he says, oh, you know, how's your family? He's like, well, he goes, I don't, I don't have any kids. And he's like, oh, and he goes, man, I, and he goes, looking at your file, it, it looks like that you did. And he said, well, I had a daughter, we lost her. And then the captain, instead of being like, oh, I'm so sorry or anything like that, he's just like, eh. And he's he's more irritated that that's not in the file. He doesn't really have a lot of empathy uh, for Prendergast. And he says, yeah, that's rough. And he's like, and then Robert Duvall is like, or Prind is like, yeah, it can be. So we see that Michael or that uh, Bill, he's got his little bag of guns and he's going to get on a bus and the bus pulls up and everybody kind of jostles. There's all sorts of kind of chaos and stuff going around him. And people are jostling him as he's kind of waiting in line. People are kind of cutting in front of him. And he decides sort of not to take the bus. And he looks down and he sees this sign. And again, it's, it's probably for some play or something like that. Or maybe it's even a thing of, you know, against child abuse or neglect. But it's a little, it's a, it's a drawing of a little girl who's looking up and I can't remember if she has tears in the eyes or not, but it says something like, daddy, I love you. And so again, it's, it's reminding him that he, you know, can't really get the access that he wants to his daughter, um, that type of thing. So he's also, he's going to start walking through and there's road construction and he's told by the construction worker, Hey, you got to go around and even though the construction worker is kind of rude to him, he doesn't really do anything with that. So we cut to the ex-wife house and her name is Beth. And this is Bill's ex-wife. 
and she is filing a police report and the cop says, well, you have a restraining order on your ex, on your husband. And she says, well, my ex, and she says, he has a temper. He would, after they got, after they split up, he would come around all hours of the day and night and he'd bang on the door. And he, the cop asked, did he hit your child? And she says, no. And he goes, well, did he hit you? And I think he used the word strike. I don't think he used the word hit, but he said, did he strike you? And she said, not exactly. And then he's looking at it like, well, what do you, not exactly. And you can tell that there's not a lot of empathy. And what she says is, well, not exactly, but that I didn't want to wait around until he did. And I really think he could. And the cop says, you think? And so you, again, you can tell that maybe they're seeing like, oh, here's this lady who's kind of just blowing stuff out of proportion. Nothing is going to happen. Or maybe this is her way to get, you know, this is a typical kind of divorce. And maybe that this is the way that they kind of get back at each other. And he's kind of thinking, ah, we don't really want to, you know, but they don't really take her seriously, I guess is the thing. And I guess, I don't know this. Well, like, yeah, I guess we'll keep going. So uh, Bill is walking through a park and he kind of gets panhandled and this guy uh, comes up to him and is kind of, you know, trying to put the the screws to him and is being pretty aggressive with the panhandling. And at the end of the day, Michael Doug or uh, Bill just ends up giving him his briefcase and uh, the guy opens it up and all that's in the briefcase is, I think it's just like a sandwich and like maybe an apple and something else. You know, it's basically, it's just his lunch. Uh, and it's an odd, it's, it's a different scene, but what's funny is you see some things of like how this guy who's like a homeless dude is trying to panhandle Michael Douglas. You know, at first he tells him, oh, I'm in my, you know, I was in my car and I ran out of gas and he's eating a sandwich while he's doing this. And then Michael Douglas was like, oh, well, show me your driver's license. And the guy's like, what? And he's like, show me your car. And in fact, show me your, your, you know, your registration and stuff. Where, where actually is this car? And then the guy's like, he, he's like, what do you, and he's like, look, man, just, you know, give me some money, anything you got, I don't care. And then Michael Douglas or, or and then Bill is saying, well, you know, I'm not going to do that. And then the guy starts saying, oh, I was a Vietnam vet. And then Bill looks at him and says like, well, what, were you over there when you were six years old? And he's like, look, I meant to say Gulf, not Vietnam. And, the, and he's like, look, you're kind of walking through. I live in this park. This is my park. I live here. And you're going to walk through here with a briefcase and a bag. Why do you get two bags? And I have none. That's not fair. And at that point, you wonder, is Bill going to sort of just beat the hell out of this guy or shoot him? And he says, you know what? You're right. And he just, and he, uh, the guy earlier had also said, like, you could give me that briefcase and I could take and I could eat for a week and I could sell it. And he's like, all right, here you go. You're right. And he get because he doesn't need the briefcase anymore. He just gives him the briefcase and that's when he opens it up. And we see that the lunch stuff was in there. Uh, and then the guy, of course, is yelling at him after that. We cut back to the police station and there's a lot of back and forth. So we're, we're kind of going with uh, Prendergast and we're going with Bill. And the gang girl has been brought in. She's being questioned. She's telling, oh, there was a white guy with a with a baseball bat and that he was wearing a white shirt and a, and a, and a tie. And then that kind of clicks in his head from before about what Mr. Lee had said. And he's starting to maybe kind of put things together. You see his like detective mind is starting to, is starting to fill things in. 
So I think here is where I'm going to stop. And when we come back, we'll do more of the spoiler stuff. So I may or may not play some music, but I would recommend this movie. I think it does hold up. There are some things where you, um, you wouldn't do today just because of the PC culture. Uh, and we'll maybe talk a little bit about that stuff uh, at the end here. So let's go ahead. And uh, like I said, if I remember, I'll drop in some music and the editing and, but going forward after you hear the music or after I come back, it will be spoiler. Everything will be spoilers. And we're going to be talking all the way up until the end of the movie. All right, so I am back, and again, this is going to be, we're going to talk about everything, spoilers, all the way through. So when we left off, they were at the station, they were they were questioning the girl about, and, and, and Prendergrass was starting to put stuff together. All right, friends, I am at a different location, and I've got about maybe 20 minutes or so, if I don't get interrupted with phone calls or texts, things like that. It's been a few hours for me, so, but it's only been a second or two for you. I think I left off with, uh, da, 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 da. I think uh, Prendergast had noticed that the girl who was the gang member was coming in, was being questioned at the station, and he had tried to get some information from her about, oh, is this, you know, who was this person who did this stuff and blah, blah, blah. So the next thing that we see is that Bill has, uh, he's walked into a place called Whammy Burger and he wants to have breakfast. And they're telling him, well, we're sorry, but it's, it's past 1030 and we don't serve breakfast anymore. And this is a thing that a lot of people kind of remember he starts saying, oh, I want breakfast, I want this, I want that. And the manager is called over and everything. And they kind of, you know, are going back and forth. And they're trying to be polite to him, but he's not getting what he wants. And so, again, he is, I guess, feeling that he is being either provoked or disrespected in some ways. And so, you know, he goes off on this rant about how, you know, um, he just he was only like three minutes late or something, something like that. Anyway, uh, he ends up taking out a gun and everybody in the restaurant is like, you know, starting to panic. One guy gets up and tries to leave and he's like, where are you going? And this is kind of, this part has some of kind of the humor in there. And one of the things he says is, you know, I don't even know you people. Why should I call you by your first names? And there was, uh, you know, Rick and Sheila or something. Sheila was the girl at the counter. And then one thing, Sheila says, well, and I, I think she says her last name is Flores. It's, it's something like that. It's, but she's like, well, you can call me Miss Flores if you want. And, and, and they actually play that little, that little throwaway line. They kind of play it off. And if you're not paying attention, you don't really catch it. So anyway, he's walking around. He's got the gun. He's holding it up toward the ceiling. And he's, you know, kind of, just, just what's the word, uh, gesticulating with it. And he ends up pulling the trigger 
and blah, 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 you know, it shoots up the ceiling. Of course, everybody's screaming and all this other stuff. There we go. I guess I'll leave that in, you know, getting that. Dear God. All right, so now we're back. So there was a scene where they kind of pay it off and he's talking to them. And I think he says something like, and it's done real quick. He says, Miss Flores, Rick, I would like, you know, such and such. And it's funny. Again, it was just kind of a little throwaway thing when he, he wants to order uh, breakfast and then he changes his mind and wants to get the, uh, he goes, you know what, I'll change, I changed my mind. I want to have a whammy burger, a fries and a shake. And of course they give him the stuff and he looks at it and he's like, ah, oh, you know what? This doesn't at all look like the, the picture, blah, blah, blah. And so that, you know, the scene kind of ends there. From there, we switch over to Prendergast and Sandra are at a restaurant. Earlier they had talked about getting lunch, kind of having a last lunch before he takes off. And they're talking about that he is going to be moving to Lake Havasu. And she, Sandra is asking him about why he's leaving. And she's saying, look, you're doing this for her. It's not really something that you're, it's not, it's not something that you're really looking forward to. And then he was saying, you know, how, oh, I, you know, I came home the other night and she thought that I'd gotten hurt and she, you know, I had to, you know, spend hours talking her down. And then he was saying that, look, it's not easy for her, you know, cause she was this really pretty girl. And then she says something like, oh, you know, not that, you know, prom queen thing again. And then he's like, look, it's different for you. And then she laughs and she's like, oh, thanks a lot. And he's like, no, 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 no. You, you know what I mean? He's, and he doesn't, he doesn't ever say, oh, you know, you're a beautiful woman too. But what he says is, look, you've got a career, you've got other things other than your beauty. And he says, it's not easy for a woman as she gets older to lose her beauty when that's all she's got. And then he says, you know, she could have been anything in the world that she wanted to be. The one thing that she can't be is a cop's wife. Uh, Cause she's just too high strung. At that point they get uh, one of the other uh, detectives comes in to the restaurant and he says, Hey, uh, some guy just shot up the whammy burger and then paid for his meal and left. And then of course that kind of, uh, sets off some alarm bells for, uh, Prynne in that he sees the similarity in between Mr. Lee at the convenience store because Michael Doug or because Bill didn't just take the soda and leave. He actually paid for it and then left. And so he tells Sandra, Hey, find out if this guy was wearing a white shirt and a tie and all this other type stuff. So we cut back to Bill and he keeps walking towards uh, his ex-wife and his child's house. He sees a black guy who is outside of a bank and he's protesting and the sign says that it says not economically viable and the guy is kind of yelling and causing a, he's just out there in front of the bank yelling. He's not really busting anything up or doing anything. And the interesting thing is, is that the man is dressed exactly like Bill. So they both are in dark slacks, a white uh, short sleeve button down shirt. They're wearing the same tie, a black tie with white stripes on it. And so it almost looks like that this guy maybe had the same type of job that he did or, or, or something like that. But it seems like, 
and I don't know, I, it's no coincidence that they have them dressed exactly the same. It's got to be maybe that they are sort of expressing maybe their outrage a little different or they're dealing with how society is, is in general in a different way. He, uh, Bill notices that there's a kind of a street vendor. And again, they're still kind of in what you would call maybe like a, a little bit rougher neighborhood, not as bad, but it's still kind of, it's still kind of hinky a little bit. And he sees that there is, uh, like I said, a street vendor and he sees a snow globe and he ends up buying that from the thing. The cops have been called to deal with the protesting man and they put him in the back of the car and as he's driven away bill and the protester make eye contact and the man kind of mouths to him don't forget about me the next scene is we are back with beth at her house and the cops are saying that have been there i guess they've been kind of hanging around and waiting to see if bill is going to show up and of course she thinks that he is going to be driving over there and not walking. So they're basically saying like, ah, you know, you, you told him you were going to call us. And so uh, that probably scared him off. He didn't want to get in trouble. If he shows up, just give us a call and we'll come back. But make sure you lock up and everything. Cut to, again, Bill is making a call at a phone booth. And a man is complaining about, you know, he's taking too long after, you know, after Bill leaves. And, or Bill steps out of the phone booth and the guy's like, you know, you inconsiderate asshole, blah, blah, blah. And he's kind of reading the riot act. And so Bill takes a machine gun out of his duffel bag and he says, you know what? And blah, 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 blah. He shoots it up. People go running and scattering. The guy just kind of, he jumps a little bit, but he ends up just standing there. And I thought it was a little bit of an unrealistic reaction. I think that guy would have taken off running, but it does give Bill the opportunity, you know, movie wise for him to say, Oh, I think the phone's out of order now. We see that uh, Prin is back on the phone. He's back at the station. He's on his phone both with his wife and, and Sandra, and he kind of is going back and forth in between the two. His wife continues to sort of nag him to come home. And at the same time, Sandra is being kind of told, that, you know, come on, hurry up, we got work to do. And... Prin is trying to get information from her. He basically tells her, look, if you run into this guy, be super, super careful. We pick up again with Bill. He is walking. He comes up to a surplus store. He goes inside and he's looking at some of the boots. The, uh, if we remember earlier, his shoe has a big hole in it. And so he's looking to get some boots. The surplus, uh, store owner has been listening to the, a police scanner. And so when Bill walks in, he basically recognizes him from the description. Bill tells him he needs some hiking boots and the guy is, now we've, is kind of like a super bigoted, super racist kind of dude we come to find out. And he says, oh, these are good boots. You know, you can use them for stomping out queers and stuff. And there were two gay guys that were in his store and he gets into kind of a little bit of an altercation with those guys. And we see kind of from, oh, Bill's face that he doesn't, he's like, you know, why are you, why are you messing with these guys? They're not doing anything to you. 
And earlier, you know, with his altercation and with some of his language that he used, you know, with the altercation with Mr. Lee, you kind of get a sense that maybe he has, he, I don't think he's racist. I think he may be a little bit bigoted uh, or, or maybe a little bit prejudiced in, in with what those words actually mean. Uh, but this guy, this, the store, the surplus owner guy is definitely different than him. We see that there is a squad car outside and Bill definitely takes notice of that. We cut back to uh, Prynne and he's back at the station. He questions the gang girl and he's saying how, you know, how many guns were there in the bag? You know, how blah, blah, blah. And then she's saying they got all the guns in the world. So basically what he knows is that Bill, or, or in, in this case, he doesn't know that it's Bill yet. He doesn't have a name, but he knows that Bill has a ton of guns. We cut to uh, Sandra and she has come up to the surplus store and she goes in and Bill is kind of in the back in a changing room trying on some boots, but the guy basically kind of draws the curtain to a close and says that, um, oh, you know, she asks, have you seen this guy that matches this description? And what's funny is she's like, at first she comes in, she's like, what's with the police scanner? And he's like, it's for my entertainment. Which again, it's almost like this thing of, oh, you know, you shouldn't be listening to that, this, that, and the other thing. But, uh, you know, of course, that's not illegal for him to have that in any way, shape, or form. So the clerk said, uh, you know, she, he basically says, I'm, uh, I haven't seen him. And so she takes off and Bill asks him, how, you know, why did you do that? How come you didn't turn me in? And he's like, hey, I don't. He's like, I'm not going to turn you in. You know, I'm with you. I'm behind what you're doing. And so he takes, he says, uh, come on here into the back and I'm going to show you my own personal stuff. And so he goes in the back and we see there's tons of, oh, like Nazi memorabilia. There's, uh, you know, he's got like uniforms. There's that one part you see, there's a little Santa Claus and he's put like a swastika armband on him. And the guy starts going into basically these huge racist rants against kind of like the Jews and against black people. And then he starts saying, oh, you and me, we're exactly alike. We're just alike. And then Bill is like, we're not alike. You know, I am just trying to get home and you are basically, you know, a racist asshole or a sick asshole or something like this. This, of course, pisses off the... Um, the clerk and he pulls a gun on Bill and he pushes him up against the desk and says, you know, like, you know, uh, basically kind of puts him in a, like how the police would put somebody up against the car or something like that. And he's like, you know, spread your legs apart, spread your legs apart. You know, you're going to, you know, you know, it's going to happen to you. You're going to go to jail. That's what's going to happen to you. And he searches Bill's bag and he finds the snow globe that Bill had bought earlier and he takes it and he's like, you know, what is this? Some, you know, gay stuff. And he throws it and breaks the thing. And of course, Bill is extremely upset about that. And then he's like, you know, spread your legs apart farther. And then Bill's like, I can't, I'll fall down. And then the guy kicks his legs off. This causes Bill to lose his, his balance and he falls and he gets a crack on his glasses on the left lens. And the guy has put one of the handcuffs, he's handcuffed Bill's right hand. And he's saying, give me your arm, give me your arm, bring it back, do it, do it, do it. And it's this weird 
almost like uh, it's almost like almost like a sexual assault scene. It would put you sort of in mind of that. And then what we see is that Bill, he he kind of has he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And he puts his hand down, and he he see he feels in his pocket that there's the butterfly knife, and so he takes it out slow, and the guy's yelling at him. He immediately kind of Bill pops back up real quick, whips around real fast, and stabs the guy sort of in the upper part of the chest, like right below the collarbone in the chest. The guy drops, and then Bill picks up the gun, and the guy pulls out the the butterfly knife, and he's going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And then Bill says to him, now you're getting it, now you're getting it. Freedom of religion, that's what's great about this country, freedom of religion. And he shoots, uh, he shoots him, bang. And then he shoots a hole in the mirror that the guy was facing. And then the guy kind of drops out of, out of frame. And then he bang, bang, bang. He shoots him a bunch more times. And we don't know, is it something like where he's shooting the guy in the legs? Is it something where he's killed him? Like, because earlier he shot that one gang member in the leg, but he didn't kill him. We cut from there to... Uh, Prendergast is talking to the captain. He's trying to make his case. The, ta- the captain tells him, look, you know, I don't like you. You're not a good... All right, friends, even though it's been a couple of seconds for you, it has been a couple of days for me. I'm back in the mobile studio. I had to take a family member here to a medical appointment, so I've got some time to kill. And I thought, you know what? We'll go ahead and finish up the review Now, when we last left off, or when I last left off, I guess I should say, we were talking about that Prin, uh, Prindegrast, man, I hate that name. (laughs) Anyway, Prin had gone in to talk to the captain, and he's trying to make his case for saying, oh, I think, you know, all this stuff we're seeing, it's all basically the same guy, and I want to do it. And then the captain is basically kind of says, you know what, I had to give you this speech, and I, but I never really liked you. You don't curse. You're, uh, you're not a good cop. You basically let yourself getting wounded affect you, and you're afraid to go back out on the streets and all this other stuff. And that, out of all the stuff that the captain says, like, Prendergast doesn't really care whether the captain likes him or not, uh, but he says, hey, I'm not afraid. I'm not And that kind of sticks with them. So again, what we're seeing with that little bit of dialogue is the fact that, again, he is, he took the desk job. He is going to take an early retirement and move out to Lake Havasu, Arizona to, because his wife wants him to do that stuff. It's not really anything that he wants to do. So he sees Sandra a little bit later and at the station and she comes up and says, hey, a guy in a white shirt and a tie just shot up a a phone booth. And they, and he's like, oh, I was right, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, they have this thing where she, she is saying to him like, hey, this is your own fault that people think about you here the way that they do. Basically, she's kind of telling him more like how a friend would tell him. And she's kind of putting the cards on the table for him and and saying, you know, you've got maybe your your reputation before was kind of as this low-key kind of mellow dude, but you were a decent cop. But lately, since you got wounded and you've taken the desk job and you've done this other stuff and you're going, people, 
and now she doesn't say this per, in these words, but this is what she's getting across is people think you're weak and people think you're afraid. She basically says too, you know, I, and telling him this, she's saying, I know that you're really not. And I know the real reasons why you're doing all this stuff. So again, we get that. It's just a reinforcement of this stuff is that it's, it's, he's doing it for his wife. So he and Sandra leave. She's going to go out and try and find him. And he's like, I'm coming with you. And she's like, you know, what are you doing? And he's like, no, 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 I'm going. So we cut to Bill calls his ex-wife and he is at the surplus store. And he is his out, he's changed his outfit. Uh, you see him, we kind of see him sitting down and you can tell he's not wearing his white shirt and stuff anymore. And what he's got on, and we'll see here in just a little bit, is he's changed into just some uh, military fatigues that were laying around at the store. And they're, they're black. And he's talking to his ex-wife, which is Beth, and he tells her, I'm coming there. And she says, no, you're not coming here. You're, you're just trying to scare me. And then he says to her, he says, am I succeeding? And he starts talking about, oh, you know, when the astronauts go up, there's a, there's a thing called the point of no, you go past the point of no return where it's actually farther for you. If you turn around now and go back, it's further for you. If, if you don't know, think of it like in a, in a circular thing, you know, he says that that's where he's at. He's past the point of no return to where it's it's easier for him just to go to the house rather than for him to put it all aside and go back. He also tells her, and she, you know, she, you can tell she's very uncomfortable. Uh, she sort of knows what he's capable of. So in today, we would say that, you know, she suffered a lot of probably emotional and uh, mental abuse from him and he kind of is gaslighting her you know we, we'd use the term gaslighting to where he's he will say things and do things that makes her kind of think that she's not really perceiving reality correctly so another thing that he says is he says you know beth in certain south american countries it is still legal to kill your wife if she insults you and then she says you know what the cops are here they're 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 here right now the police are here and he's all, really? He's like, well, put him on. Let me talk to him. Put him on. And then she just hangs up the phone. And so he knows that the police aren't there. Uh, he, he knows that um, she's just kind of, at this point, maybe kind of bluffing. Uh, what's interesting to hear is this is the point in the movie where we see, oh, a little bit of a, a shift in how Bill actually is is going to react with other people. We see that he, instead of doing a thing where mostly if, if people leave him, leave him alone, he doesn't really confront them. He doesn't really do too much. And now we see that he is becoming more aggressive and assertive in doing kind of what he wants to do. Cut to Sandra and Prin, and they are at the scene of the convenience store. And what he does is he he's familiar with the city and everything. So he goes up into this, uh, often to this hill and these bushes and he basically uh, climbs up and he sees the, the scene of the traffic jam. And he's like, Oh, okay. And he's, he's starting to piece all this stuff together from the morning. And he's like, well, when I was in the traffic jam and there was that abandoned car, and this is what's going on in his head, this guy abandoned his car 
and we pushed it off. And the one guy was saying he was going to, you know, the, he had told the other commuter, oh, I'm trying to get home. And he remembers the, uh, he remembers the personalized license plate. And then he tells Sandra, oh, we got this guy. We got this guy. We can figure out who he is now. And uh, we cut back to uh, with Beth at her house and the cops have shown back up. We then cut over to there is another kind of traffic jam where there's a bunch of construction. And this one guy is yelling out the window and earlier and, and uh, Bill punches him and kind of knocks him out. And earlier in the movie, he would have probably just walked by that guy. But again, like we were saying, his his attitude of what he's going to do and what he's going to tolerate is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, especially like, you know, kind of turning the other cheek type thing. So he goes up to where there's this guy, a construction worker dude, and he's just sitting on the ground and he's, they're doing some underground work. And so he's at the open, I don't know what we would call it. Uh, they have like some big metal plates over the thing that's on this open trench and he's at, you know, one end. And uh, he goes up and he gives them this big speech about how, oh, this is all nonsense and it's all BS. And uh, I know how this stuff works in the, in the, um, with any type of governmental agency or people that work for the government or city, you have a budget and you have to spend that budget because if you don't spend it, then they're going to reduce your budget for next year. And he's saying, you're just basically padding the books. None of this stuff is necessary. There's nothing wrong with the street. And the, the construction worker is telling him, you know, I ain't gonna get out of here. And uh, then eventually, I think he takes out a, 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 does he take out a gun? Or does he take out that little rocket launcher thing? I can't, it doesn't really matter. Anyway, he takes out, I think he takes out a gun and he's like, I want to hear you say it. I want to hear you say there's nothing wrong with the street. And then the co-worker, the, the, not co-worker, the construction worker says, look, I, I think it's sewer work. I, I'm not really sure what it is. And he's like, no. And he's like, look, I, it, 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 it may be a main or it may be this or it may be that. And he's like, I want to hear you say it. And so finally the guy like figures out sort of like, oh, that what he wants me to say is there's nothing at all wrong with the street. That this is, and so that's what the guy says. The worker basically gets up and he leaves and then bill takes the rocket launcher out of out of the duffel bag and down the down the road maybe about 50 60 yards is you know how they a lot of times they'll have the little trailers that are the uh mobile construction site office and he's looking at that and then there's this kid who comes up to him and he's like hey you know what are you doing what do you got there blah 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 and and uh, he thinks, the kid thinks, oh, they're making a movie or a TV show or something like that. And the kid's like, and he's like, uh, Bill is trying to figure out how the, the little rocket launcher works. And the kid's like, oh, you got to, you know, unclip that thing from the end and you got to put these things up. And he's like, how do you know all this stuff? And he's like, ah, I've seen it in movies and all this other kind of jazz. And he's like, where's the trigger? And on the, on the rocket launcher, there's like a lever that you press down that's up on the top. And he's got his hand on that. And he's got the thing and he's looking at it and he's kind of pointing it down and he goes to say something to the kid and he accidentally kind of compresses the trigger. And the now, of course, in real life, that rocket would have just gone shot down and blown up there and probably killed him. But the way that it works is it goes into the trench, goes underground, comes back out and actually hits the trailer down there. 
And then the kid's like, oh man, that's cool. Where are the cameras? Where are the cameras? And blah, you know, all this other stuff. So we cut from there. And, uh, but you know, it's also kind of a funny thing because he didn't really mean to shoot the rocket into the, into the, into the tunnel, we'll call it. And he, when he was at Whammy Burger, he didn't really mean to shoot the gun into the ceiling. So we cut back to, uh, Prin and Sandra, and they have gone to, they've figured out who he is and they figured out kind of where he lives and they've gone to Bill's mother's house and they're starting to question her and she's kind of, Sandra's kind of questioning her at first saying, look, you know, you need to tell us, you need to do this, you need to do that, blah, blah, blah. And then you see that Prin kind of takes a different approach and he, she has one of these little collections of, oh, they used to call it like a glass menagerie which would be a case or a shelf, like a series of shelves where you would have all these little, oh, like glass animals and things like that or porcelain animals. And so he's, he's over there and he's like, oh, what's this? And he picks one up. She's like, oh, don't touch it. I put him down. So he puts it down and he's like, wow, these are quite beautiful. And basically what he does is he kind of charms her and you start to see again, oh, okay. You start to see this is what made him maybe kind of a good detective because he's able to get a rapport with uh with the mother and then you see like and again it's it's a weird thing because of the way that sandra looks at him is it's like super appreciative where she's like oh yeah you're doing it you're back type thing but it's almost in like a way that she's almost got a crush on him and maybe she kind of does i don't know maybe that's what we're supposed to think and it also leads me to think that you know, even if, let's say, Robert Duvall is supposed to be playing a guy that's, you know, maybe 50 or 48 or something like that, uh, or, or, you know, between 45, I think he's supposed to be between like 45 and 48 years old and because he's retiring a little bit early and maybe he would be retiring, at, you know, a little bit, you know, maybe he would retire when he's 45 or something like that normally. So he's probably even supposed to be, if I think about it, he's probably supposed to be even a little bit younger. And I think maybe, and, and I don't know, this is all just sort of supposition on my part and maybe just kind of making things up on my part. It, but it seems like how their relationship was is that there was kind of a mutual attraction. And even though Robert Duvall is a decent actor, he's a, you know, he's a fantastic actor, but he, there, you can't really get around that he is, a, at the time of the movie, he was like 61 or 62 years old. So it, it's just kind of odd and I, I'm trying to remember at the time, and I think at the time when I very first saw it, I didn't pay much attention to it, and I kind of thought it's more like a like a big brother type thing, like a brother sister type relationship. Anyway, we cut to we see Michael Douglas, or we see Bill, and he's walking up along a sidewalk, and he sees oh, there's this golf course here, and so he knows I, I he jumps the fence in order to cut across. And there's these two older guys and they are, one of them says, oh, what is that, a groundskeeper? And the other guy's like, well, then he's out of uniform. What's he doing? Blah, 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 blah. And they're telling him, oh, you know, move out of the way, get out of the way. And he's like, oh, I'm just passing through. And he's like, you can't play through. And then the other guy's like, hey, you know, basically like calm down. Don't be a jerk. Just let this guy walk away. And the guy's like, no, this is my course. I pay the money for it. And I'm going to play. And he's like, four. And then he just, he takes the, you know, the thing and he whack, and he hits the ball and it zooms right at Michael Douglas and he, you know, hits the ground and then he comes up and he's like, what are you doing? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? 
and he takes out a uh, a shotgun. It's a, a shotgun with uh, what we would call like a, a bird's head grip on the end. So it just kind of looks like a pistol grip type thing. So instead of a regular stock, it just kind of comes down in the form of like a, almost like a teardrop shape a little bit for the uh, for the handle. So anyway, he's got that. And then, of course, the two guys kind of freak out and Bill is kind of giving them the riot act. And then he shoots the uh, he shoots the golf cart and the golf cart starts to roll down the hill. And then he turns around and he's giving a ration of stuff to these guys. And then the one older guy, of course, he's scared and he kind of starts to have a heart attack and he drops to the ground. And then the guy is kind of like saying, and he's having a lot of trouble speaking. And he's like, what? And he goes, now, nah, don't you wish you would have just let me walk through your precious golf course? You know, the, there should be people having picnics and families and blah, 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 blah. And again, it's kind of an odd little argument that he has. But, you know, it's, a, it's part of this movie is him kind of railing against a society that he feels has sort of let him down and has betrayed him. Uh, so the guy is like saying, oh, and he's like, pill, pills. He's like, what? You having a heart attack? And he's like, pill, pills. And he's like, oh, you need your pills? Where are they? And he's like, the cart. And then we see the cart, and it rolls down, and there's a water hazard. And the cart actually goes in and drops into the water hazard. And he says, well, it looks like your your pills are going to, your cart's going to drown. And then he says, uh, too bad. Too bad for you. Now you're going to die wearing that stupid little hat. And you can tell he actually, and I, I don't, we don't know whether or not that guy dies or not. But again, this this goes to the thing of his attitude, because I think prior to that, he might have felt bad for the guy, but now he just doesn't care. And he's like, well, you know what? You get, you, you should have been just treated me nicely. You should have just treated me as decently and this stuff wouldn't have happened to you. And so he, he's starting to take some pleasure in the power. At least this is what I get from it, that he's, 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 uh, He's realizing that he does have some power where he hasn't probably had a lot of power in the past. And he's really starting to take some pleasure in that. So now we cut back to Sandra and Prin, and they are, uh, the mom is showing them Bill's room and it's all neat and tidy. And she says, oh, this is his room. And he's like, man, it's very neat. She's like, yes, he's very neat and tidy and he keeps it this way. And he's like, oh, now don't make me call you a liar. And he's kind of teasing her, saying, well, it's you that comes in and does all this stuff. And she's like, no, no, no. This is, you know, this is here. And the way that it looks, it almost looks like, oh, this was his room, you know, 10 years ago. And I, and she just kind of kept it as it was when the guy left. It, it almost looks like nobody really lives there. And so you see that everything is in its place. Everything is, is, uh, what's the, what's the phrase? There's a, Everything is a place for everything and everything in its place. She, um, she says that he's an engineer and he works, I think they call the company like no tech or something like that. And then he asks, what's going on with him? And she's like, well, what do you mean? What's going on? He's like, you know exactly what I mean. You know, what's going on with him? And she says, and she gets kind of this far away look and she did. The actress actually does a pretty good job. And she says, you know, he, he comes home sometimes and he'll, go the whole meal when he won't say a word. And she says, sometimes he looks at me like he wants to kill me. And then as they're coming down, and, they, they, and then she says, what's the interesting thing is like, what she's, she gets really nervous and says, well, we shouldn't be in here. We shouldn't be in here. We got to go. 
So you can tell she's afraid of him. So what, what we're seeing with this stuff too is that he, he has a very volatile temper. I, and I, I, up until recently, up until we kind of join him you know, on, on this day in his life, I, he probably hasn't been, oh, like physically violent, but I think with the people that he can, he has been, um, oh, what are we, he's, he's been sort of uh, emotionally and maybe mentally abusive. And part of it is I think he maybe, I don't think he necessarily realizes it. Uh, and now he's starting to, and now again, that, that switch has been flipped from the surplus store and he's sort of realizing some of this, that he's got some power and he can kind of do what he wants to do. So as they're coming down the thing, she says, oh, you know, uh, he says if, if he, he said he was going to be going home, would that mean that he was trying to get back to his wife and child? And she says, no, you know, he lives here and, you know, she's, uh, and she gives him their maiden, her, uh, Beth's maiden name was something like Trevino or something like that. She's like, you know how these Italians are, which is kind of funny. It's, you know, it, it's a, a thing that they don't really do all that much, but how people kind of, uh, were more apt to kind of casually stereotype people and different ethnicities and all that type of stuff. So anyway, uh, he says, well, where, where would that be? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, you don't know where your own grandchild lives. And he said, and what she says, which is again, very telling is that he doesn't want me to know where they live and that he thinks it's my fault that things went the way that they went. So basically he blamed the mother. Maybe she was, you know, sort of stuck her nose into the business sometimes where she shouldn't have. And, uh, and, and so he saw it. And so in, in his mind, in Bill's mind, he thinks, well, it, it, it wasn't really me. It was that my mother kind of poisoned the well, so to speak. Sandra comes back in and she says, hey, uh, Bill was fired over a month ago. And then the mom's like, what? So he had, you know, she's like, well, where, where does he go all day? You know, if he doesn't have a job. So we cut back to Bill and he has jumped over uh, another fence and he's cut his hand on barbed wire. And we see this kind of, uh, oh, a younger family. A guy's probably in their mid, they're in their mid to late 20s. And it's a man and a woman. And they've got, uh, I think, a couple little girls with them. And he's like, you're in this big fancy house and you put this barbed wire. Why would you do that? Blah, 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 blah. And again, he probably wouldn't have done that prior. But now he's very confrontational. He's got the duffel bag in one hand and the shotgun in the other. And so the people are like, oh... He's like, I, I'm, I'm just the caretaker. And they, and what they think is that this guy is with maybe the security company. And he's like, I, I don't, I don't live here. I'm just the caretaker and we're just having a barbecue. And, and the, basically the owner of the house, he lets us do this. And he says, you don't. It, and then he says to, to Bill, he says, it's, it's not necessary for you to, to let them know. So, you know, maybe at one time, when the guy, of course, as a caretaker, the guy's going to know when the owner of the house is out of town. And maybe at one time the guy had said, give him permission to do it once. But it, you get the sense that if this, if, if Bill was really with the security company, he tells him that the caretaker would be in trouble and probably get fired. And he's like, well, if this isn't your house, whose is it? And he's like, oh, it's a, it's a plastic, it's this doctor and he's a plastic surgeon. And he's like, man, plastic surgery did all this. And he walks up to the 
to the family and he kind of takes the hand of, of one of the little girls. And then, of course, you know, the mom and the dad are very cautious and they grit. And then the mom, you know, gathers up the one little girl to him. And then he's talking to the girl and he looks down and he sees that her, that there's blood on her hand. And what he thinks initially is, oh, did I, did I do something to hurt her? Because he's kind of forgotten that his hand has been cut and he, and he's like, no, no, no. He, and, and, and then of course the girl runs back over to the, to the mom and he's like, no, you didn't hurt her. It's your hand. You, you've got a cut. And then the guy is like, then the father is, hey, just, I'll go with you. Take me with you. And, and uh, Bill's kind of looking at him and well, you know what? I think I've messed up the timeline there a little bit. So before that, well, I'll get another phone call and that's wonderful. All right, I got to pick up my passenger. So we're calling this one to a close for right now. And I'll pick up and we'll uh, kind of rediscuss the scene of when he gets over and how he interacts with the family. All right, so I am at a different place now. Uh, we're at a different medical office. Anyway, we were talking about the, when he jumps over the fence and he goes up with the family and as he's walking them sort of up to the house, that's why he takes the little girl's hand and stuff like that. He also hears a police, he hears police sirens. And in the course of his interaction with this, the caretaker and his family, he tells them, you know, I, I lost my job or, and then he says, or I guess the job lost me. And he goes on to say that he is overeducated and underskilled, or he says it might be the other way around and that he is not. And then he uses the phrase, he says, yeah, he's not economically viable. And if we remember to the protester, that's what the sign says. So he again, kind of identifies with that guy. At this point, the, the father does the thing where he says, hey, take me with you. And of course, his wife is like, no, 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 no. And he's like, if, if you take me with you, they won't do anything if I'm with you. And Bill is like, you think I want to hurt your family? He's like, I have a family. I, you know, and he goes on and kind of goes on a little bit of a tirade with him. We see, though, that he really doesn't want to hurt those people. He doesn't, he doesn't see them as doing anything wrong. He kind of sees them a little bit in the same boat as, as he is. We cut to the police are at Beth's house, and she had called after Bill's last phone call with her. And it's a, a female cop, and she's like, eh, okay, you know, whatever. You know, we can't keep coming back here. Uh, and, you know, if you really want protection, you know what you do? The next time they vote to, the, the next time there's a, uh, a bill to basically reduce the amount of police, or, or I can't remember how she says it, or maybe she says to increase funding or something like that. But she says, you know, vote, vote. I think what she says is the next time they vote to reduce the number of officers, vote no on it. And then she's like, have a nice day. And you could tell she's like super irritated. Because I think it's probably the third time they've been out there. So Prin and Sandra are back at the station. They're, they're in the process of trying to run down Beth's uh, information. And they're putting it with uh, Forrester, which is Bill's last name. And then he's like, oh, just try and run it on her maiden name now. Prin also tells her, hey, there's a, this, uh, there's a guy who was found stuffed inside the case. And he's dead at, at a surplus store. And she was like, oh, I was just there. 
the phone, we cut to the phone rings at uh, Beth's house, and it's Bill, and he's saying, he's like, I'm at the old ice cream place, and it's been turned into a store, and, and he's, you know, I'll be over there real soon, and he's talking to her like things are normal, like he's, like they're still married, and that they're still, and he's like, oh, I'm just coming home, and I stopped at the place, and oh, can you believe they changed it? And so she hangs up on the phone, and she grabs her kid, and they start running out to the out to the back of the house. And then once she hangs up the phone, he gets this look on his face like, oh, I know what they're doing. And it's at this point that you realize, and again, this would this is kind of that, that he is super, super close. He's like maybe a block away from the house, if that. Uh, I, and I think he's probably just around the corner. So maybe he's only a couple hundred yards away. So probably not even a block. Um he starts running up to the house. He gets into, um, he goes into the house and he just kind of barges in. And as he goes in, she has gone around into the side of the house and she was looking for him. And as he goes into the house, then they take off and they run down the street. We cut back to Prin and Sandra and they actually have Beth's address, Beth, excuse me, address now. And they call uh, Venice PD and Venice PD is saying, look, we're not going to send another car out there to comfort this hysterical woman. So basically Prin and Sandra are going to take it on their own and they're going to go, even though they're going down to Venice, which is probably theoretically outside of their jurisdiction. We see that Bill is in the house. He's watching these old home movies. The phone is ringing and ringing and ringing. He doesn't answer it. And we see that it was actually Prendergast and he was calling to maybe try and warn uh, to Warren Beth, um, Prin and Sandra, they head out. And right before they're getting ready to leave, or Prin's wife calls him and she is kind of, you know, reading him the right act. And he's like, oh, I'm, you know, and he basically isn't going to take it. He, you know, tells her to shut up and do all this other stuff. And as they're getting ready to go out the door and then, and of course, and what's, what's, you know, he's telling her, uh, you know, shut up, do what I tell you, you know, get the, and I want, uh, I want dinner waiting for me when I get home and I'll get home when I get there and not a, not a second sooner and have the, you know, uh, I, I want, you know, chicken and I want the skin left on the chicken. Don't take the skin off the chicken. And she's like, well, oh, okay. So what we're seeing, we're seeing kind of two things. We're um, a little bit of parallel stuff between Bill and Prendergast in that they are, one is getting sort of his assertiveness back, uh, the other, but doing it maybe in, um, well, for lack of a better term, we'll say like the proper way. Uh, and then the other guy is getting his assertiveness and, but is doing it all wrong uh, because he's harming and hurting people. Uh, as as uh, Sandra and Prin are getting ready to leave, the cops have thrown this surprise party for him, and then they've got like this little stripogram, and they're all kind of laughing about it. And um, one of the guys makes a remark about, you know, oh, you're, you know, about uh, Prin's wife, and he comes up and he punches the dude. And so again, like I said, we see that the old Prin is kind of coming back, and maybe he's finding his his uh, assertiveness again, and we see that. Michael Douglas, while he's getting more assertive, is sort of unraveling. 
cut back to Bill. He's in the house and he's still watching the home movies. And they show some scenes of where he's kind of insisting on things a certain way. Uh, he's kind of yelling at the kids. He's making things, um, you know, kind of worse. And you see on his face, he's like, oh, because it's, 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 um, I guess it's like the reality of the situation that hits him. And it sort of takes away the fantasy image of, of, of how he remembered it. And when he sees it there in his face, he's like, oh, I was kind of a dick. You know, I was kind of abusive to them. And I was, you know, I was this angry guy. Uh, and, but then he sees uh, a scene of them and they're, by, they're out on this pier. And the house is very, very close. They're like on the beach. There'd be no, this is another thing too. There'd be no way that this lady would be able to afford that house that's right on the beach or on Venice Beach. That's just not going to happen. Also, another thing I was saying that's kind of a, that I was going to say about him calling. I don't know why he would call if he was just like a block away. I think he would just show up. I think this is just sort of a conceit of the of the movie to again to cause some tension and it gives it gives them the chance to go out uh and and add some more tension and stuff like that. So he because he he remembers oh the the pier was one of our favorite places to go. He goes and he looks out the window to see it. He sees Prendergrass and Sandra get out. He recognizes that they're cops and he takes a uh pistol out of the bag and he's got like a 1911 and uh he goes kind of goes to go out through the back of the house Prin tells sandra he's like all right you go in through the front i'll go around to the back she goes up to make entry into the house he goes to pull his gun out and then he realizes well crap i've just got an empty holster here because if we remember the scene he turned in his gun already so he doesn't have a gun that gives him pause and he's kind of just standing there like, what, you know, and then he's like, ah, okay, well, and he's getting ready to go. And all of a sudden he hears a gunshot. So I, again, I don't know if this would have happened this way in real life. Again, this is like another maybe conceit of the movie. He probably would have waited. She would have waited until he went around to the back and then she would have announced and gone in. All right. We are in a different location. I am back home right now. I'm still using a little bit of my portable setup because I've already got that going. So here's, I think where we left off uh, before I kind of got my last phone call was that Prendergast and Sandra had gone to Beth's house and that's where Bill was. And we left off, I think, where... Prin had went to go for his gun and then he's like oh shoot I don't have it you know what am I going to do and he kind of stands there for a little bit and at that same time Sandra goes up into the house and makes entry would she have done that probably with him not being there I mean with him not going around you know would they have had radios or something like that where they could kind of keep in touch you know I I don't know um but I don't I think it kind of happened a little fast, maybe just for the sort of conceit of the movie, so to speak. But anyway, there is a gunshot. Prin runs inside and he is kind of crouched down low. And it's kind of a neat scene because he doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have anything. So he's coming in low uh, and trying to assess the situation. 
He goes out, work, goes through the house, goes out the back door. He finds Sandra. She's laying on the ground. She's holding her side. She's been shot. There are some neighbors that are looking over the little hedgerow slash fence. And he yells at them, hey, call an ambulance. She's like, go get the guy. He takes Sandra's gun and he goes after Bill. Bill jogs up to the pier because, as we remember, he had seen on the home movies that that was the favorite place. So he kind of thinks, well, that's probably where they've gone. As he comes up to the pier, we and they're at the, ed, at, the, at the end of the pier where there's really no way to go but back. You can't really get off the pier because you're out over on the ocean. The, uh, his little girl Adele sees him. She's super happy to see him. He runs up. He embraces and kind of starts to kiss his ex-wife and he says um i can't remember what he says like i'm here now or i'm home now or something like that and then she says just leave us alone and he says what i can't talk to my wife anymore she replies i'm not your wife and then he says something and again he has sort of that uh you see sort of that oh manipulative side of him and the side of him kind of the bullying side of him where he says, Sugar, does this ring a bell till death do us part? Do you remember that? And then she kind of has this hopeless look on her face and he is hugging her and then she's starting to kind of like, uh, almost starting to break down and she's kind of like almost moaning or sobbing a little bit. And then he's like, oh, I'm sorry, because he thinks it's the gun that he's got in his waistband that's jabbing her. And he takes it out. And she's like, what are you doing? And he says, I'm coming home after a hard day's work. And so, again, we see that a lot of the stuff that he's going through, it's almost like he's so in denial and he is so desperate to have things back the way that, that they were is that he is sort of writing his own reality now. A bunch of people on the pier kind of see the gun. They start to leave and run away. He goes to talk to his daughter and he puts his gun down and he says, uh, he's squatting down by his little girl and he says, man, how did you get so big? I missed it. He said, they stole it. And he said, they're not going to take it anymore. So again, what is, you know, what does that mean? Does he think he's going to be able to force the family to get back together? At this point, Beth asks Bill, she goes, can you, can you stop? And she's telling him that he's sick. Bill says, you know what? You walk around the city and you'll see what sick is. And by this time, we see that Prendergast, and it, 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 all this stuff has been pretty tight on them from a camera thing. And at the end of a pier is sort of a big, almost like kiosk or um, like information or, or like a little... Um, like how they used to have at the at the football games and baseball games, you'd have like a concessions a concession stand, and it's sort of kind of like that, I guess. Anyway, we see that Prince is there, and he has got a, a a little thing of popcorn. And at first, you might think, well, how would he even know where to go? But what you would have seen is if he comes out and he's kind of looking, if he sees a bunch of people fleeing the pier, he's going to know to kind of go up there. Uh, again, how he kind of gets up there and, and would get so close, you would think, ah, that probably wouldn't really happen. 
but we would say that Bill is probably so hyper focused on his family that he doesn't doesn't see a lot. And like I says, uh, like like I says, like I said, Prin has oh a little kind of small bucket of popcorn and he's kind of eating it, and he starts to relate a story of how. He's like, oh man, you know, because he overhears them saying, Bill saying, you know, everything is sick in the city, the city is sick. And he's kind of agreeing with them and saying, you know, you used to could fish here, but you can't fish here anymore. You can't even swim in the water. And then Bill says, hey, I'm having to, I'm trying to have a private moment with my family. Can you leave? To which Pren replies, he says, oh, I'm leaving. I'm going to Lake Havasu City. I'm retiring and I'm going down there. And he's kind of walking around this whole time. And then he relates uh, more of the story. And then, you know, Bill is like, well, that's not really what I meant. And then he walks up to Adele and he kind of puts, uh, he, he bends down and he goes, here you go, sweetheart. And he gives her the little thing of popcorn. And as he does this, he tells Bill, oh, you know, I had a little girl and, you know, she was only two years old and, she went to bed one day and didn't wake up the next. And he said, they call it SIDS, but she, you know, she wasn't an infant and all this other stuff. When Prin had come up to and was talking to Bill, Bill had picked up the gun again. And then when Prin gives Adele, who's the little girl, the popcorn, Michael Douglas kind of puts the gun down. Beth is still pretty close. They're all still pretty close together. She sees him put the gun down. While Prin was talking, he signaled to Beth that he was the police. Bill sort of gets distracted with Adele. He's got both hands. He puts both hands up on um, on Adele and kind of, you know, talking to her a little bit. And Beth has been watching this thing the whole time. Like I said, she's pretty close. When she sees Bill put the gun down, she runs up to it and kicks the gun away. And then he's like, what are you doing? But she kicks it, and as she kicks it away, she runs toward the gun. She picks it up. She runs toward the edge of the pier, and she throws the gun off of the edge of the pier. So it goes into the ocean, basically. At the same time, Prin pulls his gun on Bill. He yells at Beth and the kid and Adele to run off. They leave. Prin asks Bill, what, are you, what were you going to do? And Bill says, well, I don't know. And Prin says, you know, guys like you, they always say that, but you know exactly what you were going to do. You were going to kill your wife and child, and then it would be too late to turn back, and it would be real easy to turn the gun on yourself. And then Bill's like, no, nah, I wouldn't do that. And, and then Bill kind of looks at Prin and says... And he's saying this genuinely. He's like, I'm the bad guy? Like, how did that happen? He said, I, I did everything they told me to. And, and he has this little speech, and it's a, it's a good little speech. And he says, did you know I build missiles to help protect America? You should be rewarded for that. Instead, they give it to the plastic surgeon. And he said, they lied to me. And then Prin says, is that what you're angry about? Because they lie to you? He says, they lie to everybody. That doesn't give you the right to do what you did today. He says, the only thing that makes you special is that little girl. 
and then Bill, and again, sort of a little bit of the surreal thing of how Bill kind of doesn't, I don't know if he really realizes the situation that he's in or the reality of it. Bill says, uh, it sure is hot today. And Prentice is kind of looking at him like, what? And Bill says, you know, I got a gun. I got lots of guns. It's in my pocket. And then he asks him, he says, you want to draw? Prin tells him, let's not, let's just call it a day. Bill says, now, come on, it'll be perfect. A showdown between the sheriff and the bad guy. It's beautiful. And he says, on three. And he's getting ready to count down. And Prin's like, this doesn't have to be the end, Bill. You have a choice. He said, my little girl is dead and I don't have a choice. But you have a choice, Bill. And then Bill says, no, you have two choices. I can kill you or you can kill me. And my little girl can get the insurance. And then he says, one. He's, and Bill starts to count down. He goes, one. And then Prince like, don't you want to see her grow up? Bill says, behind bars? And he shakes his head. And he's like, kind of, you know, kind of scoffs, like, no. And then he says, two. And then Prince like, don't do this. Please, let's go. You know, and he's yelling at him, let's go, Bill. Come on, don't do this. And Bill says, three. And then he yank, pushes his hand down in his pocket. And he draws out uh, a gun. But it turns out it's a squirt gun. And then right as he draws, of course, you know, Prin has had his gun up and on Bill. And bang, he shoots Bill. And we see Prin kind of wipes water from his face. And then Bill is kind of smiling. He's sort of got like blood in his mouth. And he says, oh, I would have got you. And then he's, you know, he's still holding the squirt gun. And he kind of pulls the trigger on the squirt gun again. And you hear it kind of go, Shh. And then he sort of falls backwards and hits the... Uh, one of the railings, the old wood railings on the pier. And of course it just snaps, but uh, he falls off and he falls down into the water. Printergrass kind of comes over and looks at him. He sees him down in the water kind of floating there. We cut to then he is walking back. We see that the captain is out there doing a press conference. He's kind of taking a little bit of the, of the of the credit sort of for his team doing this when, of course, he was the one all along who's been telling him, you know, let it go, you're not a cop, you know, this doesn't concern you anymore. And uh, as Prin walks by, the captain says, oh, here's, you know, in fact, here's our guy, Prin de Grasse, one of our top guys right now. And uh, we will, you know, and and then uh, he says, like, congratulations, Prin de Grasse, or something like that. And then Prin says, you know, fuck you, captain, fuck you very much. And then, the, and then the captain is kind of taken aback a little bit, and he's like, uh, "Thank you." And you hear the you hear the crew saying, "Like, did he really just say that?" He walks up to Beth's house, and they are taking Sandra out, and they're basically saying, "Oh, she's going to, you know, she's uh, a bit serious, but she's going to she's stable, and she'll be all right." Beth says to Prin, "You know, I haven't told her yet." When she sees that Adele's friends are there for the party, she asks him, well, what should I do? And he says, tell her tomorrow, let her have her little party. And then she goes up to, I guess, usher the people in. Prin sits down next to Adele and he asks her what her name. And she says, you know, I'm Adele. And he asks him, what's yours? And he says, my name is Mud. She's like, no, your name's not Mud. And he's like, yeah, it is. He says, especially once my wife finds out I'm still a cop. And then the camera kind of pulls up it sort of rotates up. So we were kind of down at their level and we're seeing the legs of these cops. And as, and we follow them as they walk through the house where we see the home movie you're playing. And it, it's a scene of where 
it's kind of a, a happy scene where Beth and Bill and Adele are with a puppy and everybody is kind of happy. And then it sort of cuts to black. So I, I'm not 100% sure if, you know, we're supposed to end on that note of, you know, this is what could have been type thing. Uh, it could have been this way all along. You know, I don't know. But like I said, that's the, that's the end of the movie. So again, as far as some of the, what will we call it, maybe arcs or, or uh, emotional journeys that the, that the characters go on, you know, we see that Bill goes from this guy, when we meet him, he's kind of wound pretty tight and he's, he's kind of at the end of his rope and we see that he goes from maybe a guy who had a little bit of a temper, but kind of maybe took it and, and throughout the day. And then when he got home, maybe took it out on his wife, but it was mostly verbal stuff. He had never hit her, but it was, there was a lot of probably what we'd call emotional abuse, uh, you know, on his part. And a lot of stuff where we would use the term, maybe gaslighting where, you know, she's saying it's one thing and he's saying, no, you're crazy. It's something else. We see him kind of, delve deeper into maybe his darker side and uh, I don't know if we're supposed in, in a way we're supposed to kind of go along with him and root with him and root for him sort of as kind of an anti-hero type thing uh, but he is you do see him you know he starts to really kind of cross lines and things like that and especially after he kills the, even though the guy's a despicable person which I think we'd mentioned earlier when he kills the um, the surplus store owner, that that guy is well. I had a little bit of an interruption there. Um, so anyway, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. So we were talking about you know um, whether or not we should kind of root for Michael or or for Bill, whether we should try and relate to him, or do we see him sort of as a, a tragic figure that once he sort of delves inside more to his darker side and kind of lets his things go, especially after, again, like I said earlier, after he killed the surplus store owner. It's sort of like you really see a change in him at that point. We also see, and so in a way you could say, you know, he is sort of becoming more assertive, is going into more of maybe what we would term loosely his true nature. And we also see this mirrored with Prendergast. Man, I hate that name. It's such a mouthful to say. Why wouldn't they just name him Pendergrast? It's easier to say something or, you know, Jones or something like that. Anyway, a little bit of a digression there. But we see sort of the same thing with, with him in that with Detective Prendergast, we see a guy who is probably a pretty mellow, laid-back guy who was good at his job and I think it wasn't that he was a misfit or that he was an outcast with the other people I think he probably did his job well the captain didn't like him but sometimes you know you're going to have friction in between sort of what we will call like your line staff and management so to speak but I think he was a he was a good police officer and a good detective and we see that a little bit with how he's able to sort of talk people down uh, some of the stuff, it's almost kind of, uh, if you would, if you're my age and you might remember the, the Columbo-esque thing of, you know, where he just sort of rattles on and it's seemingly about innocuous stuff and it kind of puts people off their guard and kind of them 
you know, makes them sort of trust him a little bit. Or in the case of Columbo, a lot of times he would do this stuff and they would think that, you know, this guy's a, he's a fool. He, he doesn't know what he's talking about. So they would let their guard down because they were thinking they would be so much smarter than him. And we don't necessarily see that with, with Prendergast, but we do see that he is able to kind of quickly get people to trust him and, and sort of be able to relate to them. And we see that he had been pushed into maybe a little bit of a shell of his former self, or he was had built this shell, not necessarily even to protect himself, but more to protect his wife and to kind of protect his marriage. Uh, there was one thing that I, I didn't mention, but it's important is that when he is talking, when he and Sandra had gone to sort of have their final lunch, at the end of it, he said, oh, there's one thing that I never told you about my wife. And it's like, I, he's like, I love her. I really, really love her. Meaning that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be willing to make any type of sacrifices and stuff for her. So all in all, I think it's a good movie. I think it holds up. The performances, you know, Michael Douglas has a, does a good performance. Some of the other people do. Um, some of it seems a little bit, oh, what's the word I want to see, uh, say, a caricature of, of the people that they're playing or, or maybe almost like archetypes that aren't particularly done super well. I thought that the performance of the guy that was the surplus store owner was quite well. He came off as a real kind of scumbag. But even, even in that, it was over the top. But I think they wanted him to be over the top. So I think the actor's performance was he did what, they, what the director wanted him to do. Robert Duvall's performance, sometimes it's pretty good. Other times it's kind of him being sort of Robert Duvall-ish on how he does certain things. Like I said, at the time, he was about 62 years old. And I think, and I, th I think I'd mentioned this earlier, like I said, I've, I've been interrupted so many times doing this thing. I think in the script, both the character of Bill and the character of Prendergrass, so Michael Douglas's character, who was Bill, is probably supposed to be in his late 30s. And I think that Prendergast is probably supposed to be between like maybe 40 and 45 or something like that. So that it would look like, oh, if he if he's getting ready to, to go out the door, it, it's early. You know, he's still probably got another, especially if he was 40, you could say, well, he's probably still got another maybe 10 years that he could work. You know, no, no problem. Maybe even 15 if he wanted to, you know, put in that amount of time. Also, I thought there was a, I think there was maybe supposed to be a little bit of a sexual tension in between Sandra and Prendergast. And I think that would have been more there had they, had the ages, had they been closer in age. So let's say if he was, you know, 38 or and it, even if he and Michael Douglas were supposed to, or were supposed to be the exact same age, that would be kind of neat. But you know, if she was 28 and he was like 38 or, you know, or 40, and she is kind of, at least it would, they would say, oh, this guy's a little bit older than you, but it wouldn't be kind of out of, uh, out of the realm. It seems kind of odd the way that, uh, some of the way that, she, that Sandra, the character interacts with Prendergast. And then also some of the other cops, you know, are always, they're teasing him, calling him lovebirds and all this other stuff. So uh, anyway, I think that's kind of going to do it. I think that's about it. Hopefully this won't be too rambling. Um, I guess we'll draw it to a close with 
a little bit of a comparison and contrast now that I've gone through the whole movie of what I remembered and, and what I took from it sort of this time. There are a lot of comedic elements and in some ways I think you could see this as a very dark, dark comedy uh, that has a lot of social commentary on things, on the, where the world is going, how things are, how people are treated. Are people sort of just commodities, whether you're working for, in this case, both people were, were government employees. Uh, Bill worked for a defense company and Prin, of course, worked for the police. You know, there's commentary again on a little bit on some racial tensions and things like that. So, and that's some of the stuff I got from it now. All I remembered it from before was sort of almost like a, a deterioration of one guy kind of spiraling or falling down into uh, his his darker side. So anyway, I would recommend it. I think it does hold up. It is a movie of its time. It is uh, a 90s movie in how people are dressed and sort of the way things are, are acted and how things are portrayed. But I do think it has something to offer. I think it is, uh, even all these years later, it still, uh, it, it holds up, I guess. You know, you, you do have to put on your forgiveness goggles a little bit here and there. Uh, but for the most part, I think it's, it's, uh, it's enjoyable. All right, that is going to do it. Let me give you the contact information. The voicemail, which you are limited to 90 seconds, but you can call it as many times as you want, is 206-745-2731. And the email where you can send me regular old email, I'll read it out for you on the show, or you can send me an audio recording and I'll play it for you. The place to send that is thearmedape at gmail.com. All one word, thearmedape at gmail.com. All right, my beautiful monkeys and fellow travelers, I will talk to you next time. Bye.